to a new show, kind of, Turn It a Punk Vaults, where uh, I take an old episode and bring it back. The reason that I started doing this is kind of twofold. Number one, I play in a band, and we're going on tour a lot this summer called Fucked Up. You can find out more information at fuckedup.cc. So it's going to be hard to record as many episodes, and I still want to try and put up two episodes per week. So I thought, why not go back? And find all those episodes that you can't find anymore on iTunes, because iTunes doesn't list these episodes anymore. And you have to kind of Google them or, or search, and I'll bring them back and, and put them back out there for people that didn't hear them the first time. And starting off with episode number two of this podcast. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, this might have been the first thing I recorded for this whole thing with my friends Richard Perry and my buddy Jeremy Guerra. Now, this was a long time ago that we recorded this. This was like eight years ago, seven years ago. And the Arcade Fire were already well into the ascent of their career. Uh, they had just kind of, you know, kind of exploded and, and were on that upper echelon. We were headlining, or they were, <laughs> we weren't. They were headlining a festival in Germany when we did this podcast. And we had already been on tour with them. And you'll, you'll hear us talk about some of this stuff on this thing. But to watch these guys ascend to this kind of, massive heights and knowing that they were all punk and hardcore kids. That's really one of the impetuses for me doing this whole podcast way back when I, t I tell them that in a second too. Anyway, I'm not going to ramble on. I'm going to risk repeating myself too many times. Arcade fire have a brand new record called we, they will be on tour. You will see them in your hometown and you will enjoy it. Trust me. And, uh, that is it. Uh, Oh, if you want to pick up a t-shirt for this podcast, go to turnedoutapunk.com and grab a shirt. And that is it. Enjoy Richard and Jeremy from the Arcade Fire on Turned Out a Punk Vault. Tss. Vaults? Vault? Oh, you'll see in the description what, what I decide on. Check. Check, 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 check. Try yours. Hello. Oh, mine's working. Mine worked too. That's awesome. We're doing it. We're Sweet. making we're making audio history. All right. But I can't write songs. You, you, well, nor can I. But I've made a career doing that too. Yay! All right. Welcome, everyone. Uh, I'll do the intro later on, so don't feel weird. We'll just jump into the conversation. Whatever you want. All right. I'm here with Jeremy from the Arcade Fire, rocking a Mets shirt. Welcome to my podcast. That's right. Done by the drummer. I think, oh yeah. I think Hayden did. Hayden this. did that. Yeah. That's awesome. Alfred E. Newman. Smoking and with an upside down cross on his forehead. Hopefully they don't get a cease and desist from Mad Magazine. Yeah, it'll be fine. They'll be fine. It's homage. It's an homage. Exactly. A parody. <laughs> yeah. A parody. Um, so how are you doing? Great. So you're enjoying Happy it. to see you. I'm really happy to see you too. This yeah, is awesome. Dude, I, I wonder if that gets in there. When I started this podcast, you were the first person I thought of. Oh, come on. I swear to God, you, Rick Rubin, who I still have not interview but like oh you'll get him because well here's the thing like i i want to do a podcast and talk to all the secret punks like people that not necessarily everyone knows were into punk rock and how like punk rock kind of like steers your life and shapes yeah. your life in a weird way and so you're someone that like you know touring with you talking about hardcore stuff from the 90s i was like i want to do this podcast weird. i want yeah. to talk about i want to talk to richard and jeremy from arcade fire about being punk rock because like it's kind of cool, because I totally remember Richard from shows back then. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. I'm sure I would have seen you at shows, too. Probably. I'm sure we were at Who's Emma or Who's something Emma, yeah. together you, you at come some to point. Who's Emma shows, yeah, right? for sure. So, well, I guess I start off kind of the same way for all the interviews, which is, so how'd you get into punk? Um, I guess 
I mean, I joined bands in high school. And you grew up in Ottawa. Right? I grew up in Ottawa, and then when I was in high school, I was in Orleans, actually, a suburb of Ottawa. And so just played in high school bands like that played with the cafeteria at lunch and stuff like that. But I was friends, and, and um, you know, eventually when you're in a band like that, you want to play downtown somewhere yeah. or play an all-ages show yeah, yeah. or wherever. And so that, that just kind of, like, led to community events and and we'd put on our own concert in uh, in orleans with like five bands all friends of ours and so who were the influences like what were the bands locally that you're well that was the thing so when we first started playing downtown um we there was a club called the pit that used to do early all ages shows yeah. right on rideau street in ottawa and at the same time there was five arlington happening which was sort of like a parallel punk venue and that's like was that Scallon's thing Scallon I think lived there oh, yeah. and uh, yeah it was Tom like a basement Scallon. in a house yeah. on, on uh, uh, at Five Arlington in Ottawa and there was a band playing there called Okara oh absolutely whose bass player I knew from high school he's he, in like, Black Mountain he's in Black Mountain yeah, yeah. and he was in another sub pop uh, band for a little while Black Halos uh, yes yeah, yeah yeah so he he went to my high school and I thought he was really cool yeah and I knew his sister. I went like his sister was my age, and he was like a couple years older. But I'd see him play at school, and and eventually I saw his band play, and it was just this like, Okara were incredible. They were like one of the best, still to this day, yeah. one of the best bands. Me and Richie still listen to it all the time. It's weird, like that band is. It's so weird when you hear all those bands from Ottawa were like so technical. Yeah. Well, and as soon as we saw any of those bands, it just opened up this whole world, like Okara, and they would be playing with Shotmaker all the time. Mm-hmm. Shotmaker being like a seminal Absolutely. hardcore band. And then that sort of opened you up to Fugazi. And then you meet Sean Scallon, who's booking all the shows. And then I volunteered at the radio station at CKCU. And did you do a show? Huh? Did you do a I show? did have a show, what yeah. What did your show called? Well, I didn't have a name because I took over for uh, this guy, Rory Caffrey, who I'm sure well, I you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Rory had a show um, called Riding Raw with Rory, which was like a... I think it was Tuesday four to six or something like that, and eventually he left, and I took that show over. But I just you I, kept the name. I didn't even yeah, I just sort of didn't have a name. <laughs> but uh, anyways, that just that that whole era of life just opened up like so it was all everything. Like, so it was like that big time nineties Ottawa DIY kind of proto ebullition. Totally yeah, and the, yeah exactly. When we come, we you know our little posse of friends would hop in a van and we go to Detroit Fest yeah. every year and then we go to Michigan or that is Michigan Fest Michigan Fest every year and see like Los Crudos yeah. and Braid and uh, His Hero is Gone and all these awesome bands so you must have been really political too because that was a, like I was into that stuff too and it was like a I mean I didn't time. go deep but in retrospect it's like any and you know it's like you know all you know all of our friends become vegan and you get really into like queer politics and and uh i remember going to like an ohio the columbus fest and yeah. it was like always during the same week as pride the pride parade and so that was the first pride parade i ever walked in and we, and we did the black block march yeah yeah totally were you there yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and uh, that was the first pride parade i've ever seen i was like this is kind of political yeah like, me too yeah, that was yeah. the first pride parade I ever walked pretty cool in. it was weird to be a counter protest in favor of Yes. Pride Parade, like we're protesting Coors. Well, it's like, yeah, exactly. Because Coors was, uh, had given I totally remember yeah, that. I was at that same festival. So surreal. That's and so then that surreal. night, I think, and then all the bands played, and then that night, Assuck played on the lawn. On the lawn. Yeah, because yeah, they Tony, wouldn't play in the venue. Tony Hurt, yeah, they wouldn't play on a stage. And then they put, and they did a lottery to see which band could jump on stage. And then, <laughs> yeah. as Friends Rust won, Assuck slot. But I totally remember, because like, uh, Mark, uh, no, no, who was it? 
I don't know this dude. Uh, I can't remember. MK Ultra played. Yes. Uh, Los Crudos played. There was that woman Dillinger that. Four played. I remember there was the funniest moment of that show. Uh, it was a woman. She had just turned thirty. Kind of like a rock band. She was saying she had just started smoking on stage, and we're like, "You started smoking at 30? It stuck in my mind so much. I was like, "You are weird, Sarge." I Sarge, think yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, yeah, totally. They were great. They were from Toronto. No shit. That's Esther. I think that was Esther. Oh, it wasn't Esther. Maybe I'm thinking of a different band. Okay, but I think Sarge was Esther Choi's band. Oh, okay, maybe I'm thinking. But they did play. I remember her. I they did play. That's cool. That I have. Um, I still haven't developed. I have uh, the whole weekend. On Super 8, I filmed really? just like 10 seconds of every band. That's awesome. I still have it buried at home somewhere. That footage yeah, yeah. would literally appeal to dozens of people. <laughs> <laughs> if I put it on Discogs, there would be a fake bid of $500 on <laughs> there it. There would be a value of thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah, which would never sell. you got to wait for uh, uh, the next millennia when people look back and you're desperate like, to find what? the ass uh, front lawn footage. That ruled. There I were, also, say. you remember cops busting people from jaywalking across the street? Yeah, it was. Ten- it was like I remember feeling a little tense, but it was so romantic. Also, it was just yeah. like so fun. That's true. That was a huge. It's so funny that that was a huge pivotal moment for me too. Yeah. Like, I just I've been a punk. Yeah. Like, like you know, epithet warped tour punk, and then I met uh, Ryan and Mike. Mike Halachuk from Fucked Up. Yeah. Show at Who's Emma. And we started hanging out, and then met that Lisa McLean. You probably know Lisa. Mm. Lisa Lion Lake, early internet. I handle. know the name, I think. <laughs> anyway, and, and, and Alex Lamoureux, who played in uh, Akron. Yeah, 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 yeah. And met those girls that and all those people, and they were like, hey, we're going to go to this Columbus Fest. Do you guys want to come? And Mike's like, yeah, we're going to go, because Mike and I have become really best friends. Yeah, really yeah. Quickly. And then he's like, Mike's parents wouldn't let him go. So I went by myself with all these hardcore kids that I didn't know. Awesome. That's how it goes, though. Yeah, it was exactly. And that's what you did back then. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, we, I don't even know how we got a van in that day. And we didn't, it was like, there's no cell phones or everything. You just go and we met so many cool kids at those things. Some we still keep in touch with now. Like, yeah. Pretty, pretty rad. Is it weird? Do you you ever run into people you knew from back then in your current life? Like, Sort of. Like when that we, we went to that Saturday Night Live party. That was surreal, and yeah. And like, Eric Wareheim was in Incandetti. Yeah, who's like a TV guy now. Yeah. So I love that shit. No, I, fi- I find that there's always like a surprising person. You know, it's like 10 or 20% of the people that you meet that are new, that are doing cool stuff. And if you dig a yeah. little deeper, you're yeah. just like, oh, you Maybe know, like... like Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, Something indie Like, culture. oh, you tour managed tragedy? Yeah. Like, I was like, whatever. I don't know. It's pretty great. <laughs> So, like, when when you were getting into that stuff in Ottawa, is that when you started, you know, learning, obviously playing drums growing up, but is that when you all started learning recording and, and, and miking and stuff like that and all that sort of thing? Uh, the, well, there's a studio in Ottawa called um, Little Bullhorn that's still there, this guy Dave Draves, and so we sort of post high school bands and then started playing in, in uh, you know... I don't, whatever you call it, more serious band. Yeah, what was your first kind of quote-unquote serious? The first band like, I ever recorded with, I think, was Weights and Measures. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess that's the first serious one. But I helped, like, I played drums in a, in a pop-punk band called Chickpea that were really fun. And, uh, you know, they brought me on my first kind of leaving home tour. Oh, where'd you go? Uh, east. And we broke down, so we didn't even make it all the way. But Like, well, that kind of thing. Montreal, like, Quebec City. It, yeah, it was meant to be all the way to, I think, we played in Woods... New Brunswick 
but we never made it further. I think we bailed on Halifax. That's pretty far east. Yeah, it was like far. My parents, it was like the first time I put my foot down with my parents. I'm like, yeah. this is what I want to do. How old were you? Probably like 18, That's the 19. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, and they probably, it wasn't that big a deal. No. It was just like, no, exactly. I'm just going away from home for, with like adults yeah. for a couple nights. Like, That's also the weird thing about punk and hardcore. Like now that I'm a parent, I'm like, how will I feel when holding right? 18 as a 35-year-old friend? Yeah, 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 with a tat crazy <laughs> tattoo. crazy tattoos. But it's going to be a band that you don't like. It That's definitely the thing. will be. <laughs> yeah, totally. It definitely will be. I'm like, but I'm actually kind of relieved about it because, like, growing up listening to, like, power violence yeah. and black metal, it's like, what could my kid be into that would scare me? Right. It's like hip-hop. No, I don't no, know. No, I, I love, no, no, I love hip-hop. <laughs> the one thing that scares me, though, is that... Uh, like broken side, like blood on the dance floor. I don't know all that stuff. Oh wait, an onion of darkness, my friend. I think are they the ones that do the crazy uh, like scream over? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, a that is dark. They, they sure. will find a way to terrify you. Kid. That's like frat party metal or something. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, well, I could think of something very unflattering to call it, but let's leave that off. For uh, you can edit mine out for sure. <laughs> no, no, no. Yours. Is what wrong. if we cross paths with them? No, no. They broke up. Now I interviewed. Oh, them okay. They actually, you know. Musically aside, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the band Broken Side had one of the most down DIY ethics I'd ever seen. Weird. Yeah, you hear about that. It was some bands are just like, oh. Complete profit sharing. Like the lighting guy and the lead singer got the same amount of money. The no tour. kidding. They all loaded in and loaded out together as a unit. That's what I'm talking about. It was just like, and it's meanwhile they're on stage and it's like, like a Motley Crue show while they're playing. And they yeah, yeah, yeah. Break down the gear and carry it all out. I love it. It's awesome. It was like it's a weird. really, yeah, it's like, it's weird to see the guy that was standing on the light box have to disassemble the light box after the show. Oh my God. Um, That's amazing. But yeah, but, they, but they, they're, they're, the kids will always find it some way to. Oh yeah, for sure. So what was your first like, Weights and Measures, you guys toured? Weights and Measures, we actually started, yeah, we recorded, we toured, we like hustled. Yeah. Really tried to. How far did you go? We toured North America a little bit. That's kind of it. We didn't even we didn't go to like California or Texas or anywhere far, but sort of like we did Canada a lot and we did the Midwest yeah. sort of because we were very. I mean, as we got a little bit older, the sort of screaming '90s hardcore bands turned into really liking the little the like Chicago quarter stick kind of yeah like cold. Post. Like anything related to June of 44 and yeah, all its options. We got really into like cold, calculated, slint music kind of. And so we'd play there. Like I remember Wait Some Measures playing at the Empty Bottle in Chicago. It was just like, this is Mecca. And it was kind of shitty. It was like a shitty show. But like, but it was great. It was cool. And like, you know, like Doug Sharon, the drummer from a lot of those bands, was there. And I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, and it was really cool. It was great. So did you, get a, you met him that night and hung out? I'm not really. Like, I'm kind of shy ish so I didn't yeah I don't really force this yeah, yeah. scene but you're not like me not a try hard <laughs> give me a break oh, buddy um, so like when did you move to Montreal I actually only moved to Montreal like two years into playing with Arcade Fire so, that, uh, how, so did you like how did you, all that all come together because like I remember first hearing about the Arcade Fire because I worked at Suspect Video yeah and Castro like, with Chris uh, I was well definitely with Callahan yeah. he's gonna be on the show Sweet. Yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be I haven't seen that guy in years. Really? Yeah. He's still awesome. He's he got a vegan rules. grease. Did he even finish a book? Oh, yeah, the book. I, he did, Let's not no, talk about it. He did write a book. The book, the book he wrote came out. I think you're thinking of the sex book, which luckily never came out. No, it was going to be. I, I, he was writing a fiction. Oh, I think his fiction book just came out. Oh, okay. I got to look for it. Uh, and then he, he uh, was talking about that like 
15 years ago. Yeah, no, I think, he, I think he's been a long time, but he's actually did really doing awesome with his vegan baking risk. Oh, he, so the last time I saw him, which was forever ago, he was, I went into the video store, because I knew Christy that worked there. Yeah, too. yeah, I know Christy too. And, uh. Do you know what the three got stuff, or? Uh, not even just like friends of friends okay. like she's around she's awesome she's awesome she's super into wrestling now no shit yeah like she just got into pro wrestling so her and I are like I love I it I see her on all these shows I gotta get in touch with we her we talk pro wrestling but so she I went anyways I went to see her and Chris was working and uh, she was like Christy's not here but I just made my own soy milk for like the first time or something and I was like you are deeper than me yeah I'm he like, got can't do it that's the thing is like I love He's it. He's like the one thing that holds true. Like, still straight edge, still vegan, still oh, yeah. down, 100%. He's um, great. But I was working there with uh, uh, Zach, who played for Castro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't played, know him really well. They had played with the Arcade Fire. Yeah, And it was like, there was all this, like, people used to call fucked up, mysterious guy, hardcore. But Arcade Fire was the truly mysterious band. This is before even the, the big first EP came out. Yeah, that would have been actually a totally different... Like, you weren't in the band. Then, no, right? no. Neither was... Uh, Probably neither were most of the people in the band. Like, yeah. There was a version of it, and then eventually it was the rest of the band except for me. And then I joined. My first show with them was the funeral CD release show. Sure. Yeah. So when when have you seen Arcade Fire on those early? I saw them a couple first? times. Yeah, and then and then uh, before they before they were even in Arcade Fire, Tim and Richie played in a band with me and this other woman, Ansley called the new international standards and did you guys record it all we recorded like uh demos but we never put anything out or anything but um what was the vibe of that thing it was cool it was like a super melodic kind of uh poppy-ish slightly angular band um like we played a bunch with the silt and okay, yeah, sort yeah, of that awesome. community a little yeah. bit um but so i knew tim and richie from ottawa Tim moved to Montreal, and so the band was based there, and I would commute and just yeah. practice and do that stuff. And so, and then we just kept in touch over the years, and then I even crossed paths with them, because then I joined a band called Maritime, which is two guys from The Promise Ring and a guy from the Dismemberment Plan. Eric? Yeah. It was like, it's like their new band. It's Davey yeah. and uh, And that was before the Arcade Fire. Yeah, and so I was touring with them, and we crossed paths with the Arcade yeah. Fire a couple times, and they were like, we're going to need a touring drummer eventually, because Howard, the drummer at the time... Yeah who was getting married and having a kid and he, he wasn't going to be a touring like crazy. Yeah. And so I was like, count me in. Like, yeah. yeah. So like when that, when, so do you knew Tim Rich from like going to shows in Ottawa? Or, like, yeah. Like Tim, Tim. Cause I remember seeing Tim at shows in Toronto way back. Yeah. He, I mean, he, he's from Guelph. So he yeah. knows like well, Jim I, Guthrie. I and, think he's really good friends with the Phillips family. Like, Probably Nathan, uh, Jules, or I don't know those guys. Uh, anyway, he, he, used to, he, used he to, knows everybody from Guelph, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so there's like a whole Guelph scene. Well, they were like Toronto, and so I used to see. It was so weird because I remember seeing the Arcade Fire for the first time. I'm like, who's that red haired dude from the like, show? Yeah, like yeah, the yeah. tall red haired guy. Yeah. So ri- he. Are you talking about Richard? Richard was Richard, in Toronto. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Richard was in Toronto. Tim, Tim moved to Ottawa for a bit. Yeah, Richie was like, we were just talking about yesterday, like Food Not Bombs kid, like. Yeah. Uh, I remember actually the first time I went to the Food Not Bombs house to do a pickup where you pick up a cart to go to yes. and Richard came out and was like, hey, what's up? Yeah, man? yeah, totally. And I'm like, and I'm like oh, good. Weird. He's pretty guy. recognizable. Yeah, well, this <laughs> crazy like, red So hair. this guy that keeps like, you know, seeing him at shows yeah. and seeing the Food Not Bombs. You no, know, he was super deep, yeah, for sure. And so he, uh, he also eventually moved to Montreal. And I don't know how they all met. 
to them, like yeah. themselves. But I knew Tim. I knew Richie the same as you, just from recognizing him from shows, shows and stuff. Yeah. He's so like striking looking. But um, but yeah, we didn't really hang out until I joined the band. Like I hung out with Tim and yeah. played in other bands with Tim. Like we played with this singer songwriter named Aaron Booth, and we played in a band called Clark. Uh, Tim had an amazing band called The Killers in Ottawa. That was him. Julian from the Wooden Stars. Oh, yeah. And uh, Jeffrey Pye, who's this great musician. Yeah, they were awesome. So he was always around, and I'd see him in shows or whatever. Did you do a before the fire compilation of all your pre arcade fire bands? Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. But uh, yeah, and then just kind of remained friends with all those guys through the years. So, like, a- after joining the arcade fire, was that like a-, a weird shift to be? I guess you had done like a pro kind of thing with the Promise Ring Dismemberment plan. That was pretty like van, van, and hustle kind of tour. And I actually got turned away at the border and missed oh, half of it and stuff. Like, I was just playing keyboard, so I wasn't crucial. <laughs> but uh, that was a hustle, but it was a little more full on than yeah. I was used to. It was like I was getting paid like. I don't know, 50 bucks a day or something, but like getting any money was new. I was like, oh, I'm like a professional musician. Yeah. I can afford half of a dinner. Was there like, I I had this weird punk rock guilt when I started drawing a paycheck from music. Were you too young at that point? I don't, no, because I never, I just, I was always holding down a government job at the same time. So I already, I already knew that no matter what, if I could make any money playing music, it was more punk than working the job that I had already so and around that same time too there was a time when I I did a tour with uh, Jim Bryson who's an Ottawa singer-songwriter guy who's great and he he was doing well like and we were opening for the Weaker Thans at their when they were being really popular was he on G7 did you do a record on G7 I don't think he did but it was that that era yeah and uh and so that tour I was like oh shit I'm actually making a run at this like I might I might be able to pay rent which would be great and then Arcade Fire kind of took over all that stuff, which is what, great. Were your parents, like, what did your parents say when you told them? The funny that? thing is my parents were always fine with it as long as I had a job in the summer yeah. or that I could leave for tour or whatever. And then when I joined Arcade Fire was when I, uh, just before that, I quit my job. I quit, basically quit my job as soon as it became, like, a real job. Yeah. And my parents were nervous, for sure. And I just accumulated, you know, like $20,000 credit card debt. Like, Arcade Fire happened right at a moment when I was like, if this doesn't keep going, I got to just pick up some other job or something. And so what was that like when it started happening? It It was cool. We had a, like, it was clear that it was just rolling. It felt like that's the thing. It felt like I've never seen, I don't don't know, I wasn't alive to see a lot of stuff happen, obviously. But, like, I've never, I've seen some bands get popular, but I've never seen anything bad it was pretty crazy yeah like we just jumped in a van and went on tour and then it was like a van and a trailer and then mid tour we would find out that like two weeks later the venue would get bumped up like and this kind of stuff and so eventually like there's a really amazing moment I think I have a little video clip of it of um shoot can we pause for one second I gotta have on my charger sorry oh shit yeah you need that so we go on so we're talking about when funeral kind of started blowing up, right, and stuff like that. No, yeah, we we were all still working day jobs and and just kind of hustling. We went on tour, and then mid tour, we there was a moment. I have a video of it still somewhere, but where Richard Richard brought these surveys on tour that he was working. It was his job, yeah. Like, to like fill out these forms and then compile them and phone them in or whatever. And we actually mid tour 
he was just like, I don't have to do that anymore. And he burned, he, we, sur- we did like a ceremony of him with this box of surveys that we were hauling around all over the country, like, and just burned them in a parking lot. That's and we're crazy. like, we're done, we're done. Like, let's, let's do this. And then we still had to hustle like, yeah. and play all the time, but... But uh, it definitely, yeah, it just hit a moment where we all realized, like, holy shit, we can just, let's just keep going and going and going and going and going. So who was the first, like, crazy person that loved the Arcade Fire? Because that's what, like, I, I saw at least love the Arcade Fire at, like, Jason. No, bro, no, 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 no. We're taking your room. <laughs> yes, thank you for letting me. Like, because I remember, you know, I saw, it just seemed like every show was, like, Rivoli. Punch Clock Studios, Sneaky D's, yeah. and then like Dance with Music Hall, and then just like it just kind of music. grew, yeah. Who was like? But I remember hearing like David Bowie had come out, David Byrne had come, uh, uh, yeah. That's it. Just kind of was that weird? Like that? That was totally like, weird. It was totally weird. I remember like Gary Hensler for the neck from the Necros blew my mind. So I can only imagine meeting David Bowie. Well, we like. I remember early on, like, there'd be like people that we'd recognize from TV would come to the show. It was like that's weird. How do they know about the band? And then, like, um, Bjork came to one of the shows, which we were all kind of... And she's, like, a punk rock too, kid, too. Totally. Know? And I was fucking freaked out, because she was my favorite, and I was just like, I'm not talking to her. I didn't even see her that night. But, um, I mean, we were just also so caught up in playing that it was nuts. Yeah. But that the cool thing is, we every time we heard... Because you always hear about it, because there's, like, a to-do about it. Yeah. Like, David Byrne is coming tonight. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, oh, okay, well, we know already. And so what we started doing, we were just like, well, we're obviously, like, indebted to him musically. So why don't we just ask him to play something with us? So you know, and we just started asking anyone who would be around. Like, see, that's the thing that always dazzles me when you bust out a cover with someone on stage. Like, you knew in a hand, you, like, you would practice that Well, song. we're just like, what's the point in holding, like, why yeah. not just ask? No, absolutely. And all of those dudes, I don't think there's been any single person we've done anything like that with that's been weird about just wanting to do something. We got turned down one time. Oh, yeah. I'm Glenn, sure we have, and I don't even know about it. We asked Glenn Mat- Matlock to play Bodies with us one time, and she did a Whoa. festival, and he said no. He's like, no. Yeah, I, mean, nah, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we just, we... But Kevin Shields played with us that night, so fuck him. No shit. Yeah. He did? Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't think he actually played. He just stood side stage with a guitar, but hey, Well, he only he, oh, it's, yeah. That it does counts. definitely count. It counts. No, yeah, it, I mean, having met some of those people, like... But did you, like, so you knew the covers... That, 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 when we, we were that, already covering the David Byrne song. The David Byrne song, yeah. So, okay. like, and for all I know, that's why he came to the yeah, show, because yeah. somebody maybe told him that this band is playing your song or something. But still, like that. that's all, yeah, because I've always been like, how do you know the song when that person's there? Like, we've had people come to the show, and I'm like, if we were professional, we would be able to bust out this cover and, just and get this person to come on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The funny thing now, all these years later, is, is um, me, Will, Richie, and Tim in the band have a cover band called Fi Slamma Jamma. And really? we're building up like a pretty big repertoire of all these classic like punk and, and really? rock, rock and roll songs or Where'd whatever. What you guys play? We just we just played in Berlin. Like we we've been playing after shows. Yeah. Like we'll we played in Toronto with Owen. Oh, that's the that's the Owen. So Owen Pallet played his, yeah, set, his set, and then we played a quick cover set oh. of like Ramones and Modern Lovers yeah, we and tour. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be fun. Everyone texted um, me about it. Like, but it's fun because it it's like oh we actually could just we're kind of in the the rhythm of learning songs really quickly so we're just like oh we can just bang it out like are you guys doing like uh three penny opera covers at all (laughs) (laughs) i wish richie and i can sometimes bust into like an okara riff or something (laughs) but i don't think the rest of the band knows that as well (laughs) that'd be amazing if you did like 
All right. This is the some ideas are poisonous comp. Yeah, this is satellite screams. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Oh, I would fucking love that. I would love it. <laughs> Play portraits or something. Two portraits. portraits of I would kill. There's still a band kind of right. Yeah, I think so. All those bands. I, it's weird. That Portraits did a record like four or five years four or five ago. Years and it was ago, great. Yeah. yeah, like that's the thing. Like none of those bands, I guess, got big enough to start hating each other. You know, no, like, it was just financial. It was just like financial. Well, I remember going to see, there's like a promoter in Montreal that puts on the occasional, like, he put on From Ashes Rise. And, oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. Oh, does, like, it, does he do the big metal festival every year? The hardcore festival? I don't think it's the same guy. I don't think it's the same guy. But but yeah, there's always like these hardcore bands that reappear. I'm like, I'll go to that. Hell yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Still great. Like, so you still listen to punk and hardcore? You still get... I kind of I got really into black metal just because it's so unpredictable. It's almost like a palate cleanser. Yeah, it's yeah. just like I have no idea what this music is about to do. Um, but I still, yeah, I listen to that stuff all the time. Still, who's your uh, what are you, what are what are some older bands that you kind of go back to? I still listen to Okara all the time. I mean, I listen to like it's weird because they're they're a band that I think has almost been forgotten. They didn't, large, and they didn't population. like. I feel like when we would go to these. American festivals and meet other cool kids like they would be stoked that we were from Ottawa because of Shotmaker like yeah, Shotmaker, Shotmaker were huge yeah it's weird and for me Shotmaker were awesome but I Okara really was like a deeper influence but I don't not nearly as many people knew them I think yeah, that's the that, impression I get they only that one 7 inch right they had two 7 inches and a and an album that Scallon put out on Spectrasonic really is an Okara album yeah it's okay. good and then, uh, but also before that, there's a demo tape that's like a lot of those songs, but yeah. but a little more screaming, like a little more intense. Um, and we just like lived by that stuff. It was so great. Which might actually we bring it back to Mets. Hayden played in Three Penny Off. Yeah, yeah. With with um, what's his name from Shawmaker? With uh, oh my god, what's his name? I smoked weed, so I'm, I got an excuse. Adam? No, not Adam. Adam? No. Oh my god, I'm forgetting his name. What's wrong? He was, a, he, and he's one of the best. Canadian frontman of all time. Oh, they were great. I, I, I swear he was like, Three Penny Opera was a band that you would see play to like 10 people. Yeah. And they would play. They were blazing. Blazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. They also had like a, I think, hate 30 Second Motion Picture. Yeah. I don't know if that was Hayden though. I think it was his brother. Is it 30 Second Motion Picture? Oh my God, you're right. I, that's Adam. Yeah. Adam Menzies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so did you, 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 small world, you yeah. must have known Hayden back then, right? Hayden, I went to school with. Yeah, yeah he yeah. was like I think a grade below me in high school. That's kind of awesome whatever. though. Now, like you know, that, that's what I when, we, when I started thinking of this idea of podcast. It's almost like that Drake song we made it. <laughs> it's yeah, like all these people that like yo Columbus Fest, nineteen ninety six. Totally, but it's weird to like. It's hard to communicate how meaningful that experience yeah. is. It's it really is. Like, like, and it's not. I don't know. Like, if I was into to like going to raves if it would have stayed totally because that is an experience for people who love that stuff yeah it's, it's an experience that like but but I think there's there's not an ideology you know like punk's one of the few musics that has ideology almost as intrinsic or as something. music yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's weird it, like it like it's 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 I like what would Ian do is like yeah burned into our yeah, brains totally. you know? it's like, so true <laughs> It's every, totally every true. Like, well, just all about the music business. Yeah. And then, like, like we were talking about, like, the going to your first Pride Parade and what it even means that it's a Pride Parade and, like... And learning about, And like, food politics yeah, and all this kind of shit. Like the it's sponsorship like, of Pride and, and this being... Yeah, yeah. 
this is marketplace man and all this kind of stuff it's really really odd and it's but it's stuck it's like it's such a it's it planted all these seeds that are still i mean i play in like a ridiculous huge machine of a band but there's still we still talk about all that stuff all the time like the things that are important it's really bizarre even the fact that like we we talk about it a lot that our band isn't locked down to like backing tracks. Yeah. It's just like that to me feels so punk. Well, you're your master. There's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's important to us. It's that's, always been important to us. Like, yeah, that's, that's like, like mega. A, a, I don't know my own masters. You know, yeah. it's a real rarity now. It's, but it's crazy. Like, it's yeah. crazy. And that all comes from like growing up yeah, where why? those become important aspects of. You just like, I, I feel like too, when you're in the hardcore scene, like you're not doing it to make money. It's just, it's all about community. It's all about music. Yeah. And so your value system is totally different than if you were in a band that became successful right away. I'm sure. Like I'm totally guessing yeah. that if you're 18 and you join this band and you're already touring all over the place, like, I don't know. We just established different you values like because you do it because you want to, because yeah. you're certainly not getting yeah. like, and, like, and that's the thing. Like, when, when all that stuff came out about you guys having the quote-unquote dress code at that show. Oh, yeah. And I all these love people it. were, like, getting mad. And I'm like, you're not getting it. They're not saying you have to buy a fucking thousand It's the best. Suit. It's the best. You just have to have fun. Like, yeah. Punk shows. And it's also, like, nothing's new. Every, there's dozens of bands that have done that shit before. Yeah, exactly. It's just but, like, like, but it's, like, it's almost like people didn't know that, like, no, this is, like, basement punk guys it's so weird good, you know? i love it i love it it's fucking awesome well i'm not gonna keep you anymore because you gotta get ready for a festival thanks for having me no, great set today uh jeremy thank you man it's like uh, like two ships passing in the night now. i love it now i'm gonna but we pass more and more often i like it well last time i saw you i had to explain inky dagger to paul rudd i love it yeah yeah small <laughs> Which ruled? That yeah, was yeah. the most insane moment of my life. Like how I, to explain? Well, that's my wife's celebrity exception. Like Paul Rudd marriage, yeah. <laughs> so, so she was allowed to have sex. Her, uh, what do you call it? A free pass. Her or free pass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't even know who mine is. But He's she, very handsome. He is very handsome. Very nice. Dude. But the weirdest shit in the world is like, yeah. So okay, we're at this party, this Saturday Night Live post party. You know, that's the coolest shit too. How like you're just like come and sit because I felt awkward as shit. I'm wearing these giant. Oh, me too. But it was like Pac-Man covered pants. You're like, come ruled. sit with me. Yeah. And then there's Edgar Wright, and um, we're just talking about, I'm dropping that thing about, yeah, Eric Wareheim was an Inky Dagger, and you're like, fucking no way. That's insane, yeah. And then Paul Rudd's like, did you say Eric Wareheim was in a band dressed as vampires? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah. And I'm like, do you know what Minor Threat is? He's like, yeah. Like, Picture Minor Threat doing drills. That's like, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm just like, how is Paul Rudd? Doing this. But anyway, I love it. I, I, I love you guys, and I'm so proud to see oh, you keep going up there, buddy. Jeremy, you're let's take home. over the world. All right, let's life, do it. Buddy. All right, thank you, sir. Sweet. We are live. I am here with my friend Richard of the Arcade Fire. Thank you for sitting down with me, buddy. Hello. Hi. Um, uh, it's, it's a great thrill to have you here and be here with you because. As I told you off air, you and Jeremy were one of the inspirations for wanting to do this podcast because uh, I know that you're a punk rock dude because I went to shows with you. So, like, that's how I first knew you and, and stuff. And uh, we'll get into, you know, where I first remember seeing you in specific shows, <laughs> trying to make you recall them in a minute. But I'm going to start off the interview the way I start them all out, which is how'd you get in punk rock? Uh, wow. Um, kind of just kind of just I got into music 
um, as a teenager, as a young teenager, I didn't even specifically go go gravitate towards punk right off the bat. I was just... You grew up in Guelph? No, I grew up in... Uh, I was born in Toronto. You were born in Toronto. And okay. I went to high school in Ottawa. So okay. it was kind of at that point. That like, you got into it. High school age that I... But I kind of got... I was just like getting into music. Like I got into... The first band that like made an impact on me was The Who. And mm-hmm. then directly after that was Public Enemy. Which arguably you could say that those two things are, are, yeah. are, are you know, that's a proto punk or yeah, like I mean, kind of outcrops of punk in a weird yeah, way. Definitely know? sort of anti Yeah, countercultural certainly. Ways, yeah. Yeah, like I imagine at the time you didn't have a lot of peers at high school that were, you know, throwing on Quadrophenia or Who's Next or No, well I actually got into those things when I was like when younger I, than high school. Yeah, younger than high school, like kind of grade eight. Yeah, it was kind of Public Enemy and The Who, um, but just the kind of of my own accord, um, and just but just was getting really into music and just like almost just following whatever really turned me on, um, and then started going to shows in Ottawa. I just kind of started. I went to see actually these friends of mine, friends of my sisters when I was growing up, who were called the Dead Lemmings. Okay, this Toronto band, this Toronto metal band, who. Uh, now some of them are in it's like Ohad from Do Make Safe Nation. Oh really? Yeah. And and Chuck Spearin from Broken Social. Wow, that's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. And also like because also uh Justin was in Mal Havoc yeah, right. for a minute too. So right. like Do May Say Think is the secret thrash punk metal band of Toronto right. history. Yeah. Right. Um and I went to see them at this place in Ottawa called The Pit. Okay. Oh, was, we're, actually, Jeremy was talking about The Pit. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was kind of an establishment. It yeah. became kind of an establishment. And I went to see that show really early on in its existence when it didn't have, you know, there wasn't a weekly ad for it in the paper saying who was playing and nobody knew where it was. Yeah. Or, and so I went to that. I remember that was like one of the, that was kind of the first show I think I went to in Ottawa that was like exciting. And, uh. And then started, I don't know, I guess I, I, it's hard to even put your finger on it, but I just had lots of friends who were starting to play music and I was just sort of interested, you know, you're a teenager, it was yeah. like 13 and you're just like, what is happening out here? Like, So who were the first kind of bands you got into? Was it more, because like I knew you kind of, well, I knew, saw you going to shows, it was more like the Who's Emma kind of basement, right. kind of like, you know, DIY hardcore scene. But right. were you, did you have like a pop punk period leading into that or anything or? Not as such. It was really just like, I liked this band and I liked that band. Yeah. You know, it's like I got, like I liked, and I liked kind of weirder, more, the more musically interesting stuff. I liked, like I got turned on to Flag Camp. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty yeah. early on, like in, in high school and the Jesus Lizard and, and then like I heard Fugazi at some point and like that. But I wasn't like, I didn't really self-identify as like part of a anything more than a music scene, but there was clearly like lots of punk stuff yeah. going on in the scene. But it's like there was like the rip chords would play all the time in Montreal, but I wasn't really into that. But yeah. then, but then, yeah, but then Fugazi and Shudder to Think came to town, and it was like that was a big, amazing event. That was like mind blowing musically. Yes, yeah, so you, you were know? you were into punk, but that was like the, the epiphanal kind of like hardcore moment for I you. I mean, I was kind of no, the, no. I mean, I was kind of just into edgy music, really, yeah. and but stuff that I also found beautiful and like yeah. exciting. It wasn't really about the like whole ethos although i was totally because you were really into the ethos like i went yeah i got there. i remember going to the who's uh the food not bombs house to pick up a cart to do pickups yeah yeah and that's where you lived you were doing food not bombs yeah it was kind of like running that show. yeah yeah, totally. yeah like so that's like that's yeah. like pretty much punk politics sure 
you know, at yeah. its perfection, you sure. know, sort of thing. Yeah, but it's also just kind of grassroots socialist Yeah, absolutely. Politics also. And I, so I was raised Quaker um, in Toronto, and so that that, that kind of grassrootsy stuff. And let, let so the political music thing just made sense. Yeah, it was like the, the kind of social justice thing yeah, was just absolutely. there in my upbringing and yeah. in my consciousness. And my best friend, Bennett, yeah. who was also a Quaker, and he was like really getting into punk like in a major in a major way and we were like really good friends but I was more just into music and into counterculture-y things and he was really like Sex Pistols and and Ramones and and deeper and deeper yeah like and and uh, I think it's Bennett's older brother played in like Armed and Hammer. Morgan. Morgan, yeah. No, he also played in the Dead Lemmings. Dead Lemmings, too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, totally. Wow, everyone played in the Dead <laughs> yeah. Lemmings. It's yeah. like a Rosetta Stone of Toronto music. Yeah, yeah totally. And so, but he also played, did he play in, oh God, Sucker Punch or something too, maybe for a second? I don't think so. I thought he played in, anyway, sorry. But like, so, like you were in that household? But anyway, so, 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 so Anyway, whatever, music, yeah. Ottawa, teenager, and I played my first band that was a terrible band in high school called Anakin, played at Five Arlington. It was like our oh, yeah? first show that I ever played was at Five Arlington, and it was like, what is this place? And that was with, like with a couple pop punk bands and a weird... Like the world is not yellow and those types of bands? Or? Yeah, uh, who was it? I... Uh, wonder, boy wonder. Okay, I'm really and, testing the obscurity. Yeah, 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 no, it was, you know, Ottawa, obscure Ottawa pop punk. Um, but then at age 17, my, um, my father died and I found like my musical, you know, and you go through a whole hellacious set of feelings for a year with that. And my musical taste definitely went more kind of more extreme emotional expression. And so, and then I started to discover auto bands at that same time. I discovered Shotmaker and Opara, that, which was kind of this amazing moment in Ottawa music. Where this it's funny because we were Jeremy and I were talking about Okara. Yeah, I mean they were like, kind of like the greatest, and they're like forgotten in a weird way. Like Shawmaker, I think, is remembered a lot more. Right. Than they, I mean, Okara. they kind of were around longer and toured yeah. more widely, and you know, toured for, with Fugazi a bit. Yeah. And like they they did the fests. Yeah, they the did US, it yeah. more like for a longer time. Um, but both those bands was kind of like if you saw them and were open to that kind of music, like you couldn't not be changed mm-hmm. by it a little mm-hmm. bit. And that so like definitely music. And but but for me it was like still it was I thought the scene was great and I loved it and I loved friends that were doing interesting things and doing whatever making zines and the whole thing and um, just as a but for me kind of more just as a way to create community and create community with like like minded socially conscious people. And, but then also for me, it was really about the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and shot, both those bands, like Shotmaker and Okara, had just like had a huge musical impact on me. It was just like, oh my God. It's like, it's, it was just out of that moment for me. It was, it was just like, to kind of super melodic, like beautifully written songs, but with like, with so much kind of screaming and like technical ability purging. too. Yeah. And like musically, just like amazing, heavy, and so beautiful and kind of sad and happy and scary and weird and so what when did you move back to toronto so when i moved back to toronto like that next year really i did yeah and then i moved in with my friend bennett yeah and 
it was right when Who's Emma was starting up, and we were both like, let's you go. You guys were just work setting it up, kind yeah. of. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Not I, remember, like I remember seeing you guys, Ben and you had shifts there. Yeah, we had shifts. Yeah. We were in like, the old location, before yeah. they had the show space location. Yeah, before it turned into a guitar store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, but uh, remember it used to be across the street that's now grilled cheese place? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Old, old. Yeah, that's what I remember seeing you guys yeah, right. first. Yeah, right, totally. And that was like... But it felt like that was, uh, you know, because that was when I was just getting into DIY punk. Because I came out of, like, you know, pop punk stuff. But um, I remember going there and it was, you know, it was such a community. Yeah. You know, you yeah. go to shows, you see zines. I went to silk screening classes with Stacey Case and yeah. Emma and stuff. And we were doing all that. So like, that's, I kind of moved to Toronto just to, like, hang out and sort myself out and post high school. And, yeah. And we were doing all that stuff. And then we're, like, silk screening shirts and, yeah. you know, like, just going to the Goodwill all the time to find weird clothes to print stuff on and just kind of into it and and just into yeah into just checking out everything that was going on and Ben ended up putting on a couple of like benefit shows for his Emma that did really well and that mm-hmm. was super inspiring like whoa you do these like Sunday afternoon punk shows and loads and loads of people turn up and amazing you know um, and supporting this cool weird place that was kind of this countercultural hub yeah like a really weird place when you like like, like you look at that space and it's like a bookstore in Kensington Market. Yeah, had this tiny a bookstore basement. with coffee and like, yeah, yeah, really. Just like so many amazing things happened out of that yeah. like, little space over such a short period of time. And then I, the the guy who kind of started that, Alan O'Connor. Yeah. yeah, I saw him walking down the street the other day. He didn't uh, recognize me, but uh, he. So I moved into the house where he lived. Yeah, that was on Baldwin Street um, with my friend Paul, who was also working at Uzema and and was like an activist and was working for OCAP. And um, and we were both kind of apartmentless and we're just like on welfare for a couple of months. And and uh, and I guess I guess I started doing Funa Bomb slightly before that actually. But at some point I went to, I get maybe through silk screening through my friend Carly Stasco. Do you know Dave Meslin? No, maybe the like long time yeah. Toronto activist, okay. great dude. I think I went. No, no, okay. I went. So Bennett was really good friends with Will Monroe, uh, and I became very good friends with Will through him. And we would just kind of hang out and go looking for fun things to do. And and we got, we went and learned that a dude was doing like kind of a paint bombing, fashion billboards yeah. thing, <laughs> and that sounded. Fun and exciting to us, and we were and we were also going really into biking and into critical mass and that kind of corner of Toronto, the kind of bike culture. Um, and so this was like, let's go get on bikes and go paint bombing really defensive billboards yeah. with Dave Meslin, as it turned out. And so we kind of would convened at his loft to talk about it. And there was this thing in Toronto that, at that point called the Media Collective that maybe or maybe doesn't still exist. I don't know. There was I kind of, of remember seeing stickers from Media Collective around. It like was kind of like a concept yeah. slash community of people, kind of social awareness. Yeah, there was like yeah, a lot of awareness and media awareness, media and awareness, kind of yeah. counter, media counter action. And um, anyway, I ended up at this loft that was where Stefan, who was a silk screener, yeah. and Dave Mislin lived, and. And it was the very beginning of Food Not Bombs, or that phase of Food Not Bombs. And I just went to kind of like volunteer and cook and hang out. And we ended up just like making the most rocking meal and then going to the park and serving it and loads of homeless people turning up and the whole sort of Food Not Bombsy thing. Um, and it was great. And, and then this kind of great community of activists and other just interesting kids trying to find other interesting kids and do interesting things. And, um, 
And I just got really into it. And I was a good cook. And I was there, actually. I was cooking instead of paying rent at Bennett's parents' house. I was just cooking for them. And I was like, this is great. Like, I can use my cooking skills that my mom taught me and do that instead of paying rent. And yeah. I can also do it's like a neat bridge into you live in the punk community. life punk yeah, kind of but yeah. like a, a funny hybrid thing. yeah yeah and a then, really political version of it I but, guess yeah. yeah yeah. but that, that and so at what point then did you kind of like because Bennett you know I was in for suicide I know Bennett yeah. you know, like all these bands and stuff yeah. but um, and I remember totally seeing it at shows but then at some point I guess you move away right I moved to Montreal because I was like I was really always I loved the community aspect of at all and, and all the, like, the changing value systems it wasn't really that it was that I personally was like I just wanted to be making music and really doing music and for some reason that wasn't really happening it started happening a little bit I was like playing a little bit with Evan Clark oh, yeah. in the basement of Baldwin that was fun but I just, I just was wanted, that Rockets Rick Blair before Blake or it was it was kind of both of no, yeah. But I think both of those things existed yeah. already. Which is like another project, I think. Yeah, we were did just, you do any bands that recorded at all? Or no, no, I never recorded anything. In really? I was in Toronto. Yeah, I was yeah. Kind of like at home with my synthesizer and my four track, and what was more just like soaking it up. But was kind of wanting to play with people, and was just going to a million shows all yeah. the time. And, um, did you go to Vaseline? Was that or the that, that was left? right when I left? That yeah. started to happen. We'll started that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, that was right when I left. So you, you moved back, so you moved, sorry, to Montreal. I moved to Montreal to, like, to kind of do a, a whole bunch, like, everyone that I went to high school with kind of had moved to Montreal. Yeah. And it was like a mass exodus kind of, a, little bit. a lot of people, too, in Toronto yeah. at that time. Yeah, and uh, it just seemed like exciting things were happening, and and I knew a bunch of people that were in Montreal making music, and I just really wanted, I, wanted to, I, I thought I wanted to study music at the time, but I ended up studying electroacoustics, which is kind of an art, a sound art end of music. Um, but then there was this whole other, like the kind of constellation thing was, mm. was like, like Godspeed was just starting to sort of take off as a thing, or it was just before Godspeed really took off, but it was a thing, like Godspeed were playing fairly regularly at their loft, and that was, you know, that felt like a more, because for me really, in terms of punk music, it was really the deeper side of things, all things musical that yeah. put me in, you know, like, like, I, like I still really you weren't like, like a No Effects fan. Right? I was not a No Effects fan. No, um, no, I was like, but I loved like Unwound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, and beautiful, kind of emotional, and the more musical, darker kind of. Yeah, that was always emotional. what what drew me. It was yeah. really music, and and I and Godspeed. I loved that. Like before I got to Montreal, some friends of mine sent me that record, and I was like, whoa, this is really special. Like it's kind of more orchestral angle on things, and it's kind of minimalist thing, and. That really pulled me in Slugs, but so we'd go to their loft and watch those shows, and that was this really inspiring thing. And it's kind of like it was a more, they were all kind of raised from or grew up in punk. Yeah. Really, yeah, and I know, various uh, formations of punk. You know, it's always different. It's like there's not one. Yeah, they kind of have this thing with Black Hand, too, like that band Black Hand. They were uh-huh. kind of like some of the dudes were in that, kind uh-huh. of wanted to do stuff with Godspeed. Yeah. Probably with some of the dudes in there. I, like, you know, I always thought they were cool. Like, Mike and Josh interviewed them, like, One Speed Bike or, or uh, yeah, it, way, like, way back when for their zine, the zine that became fucked up, actually. Okay. And stuff. Like, they were super into them. But I was, yeah. I, I think, you know, I think you and me definitely converge on bands, mm. but I think I come at it from the opposite end. Like, sure, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thing. But, uh, but, yeah, I totally remember that time, like, yeah. Godspeed came and it was just like, 
it was a new everything was, got serious it was a very artistic very artistic yeah direction that, for the thing and it was kind of like and it was also at a time when and with a political agenda people get yeah people but people were political like it was like the, there's also people who were growing up you know yeah. like people were like, not into necessarily the exact same stuff they were into five years yeah before. or you just have a little bit more of a focus you know yeah. I mean? it's not like that you're not it's not like you say goodbye to any of the values or the yeah. principles or but you just want to do slightly make slightly better use of your time or slightly yeah. more focused have a direction you know and start forging a real path for yourself rather yeah. than just like doing the couch surfing and volunteering at whatever needs your help thing, which is yeah. great for a while it's like okay great so I was like kind of running food not bombs for a while I moved into like this whole house full of yeah. other anarchist activist kids and we were doing food not bombs every Sunday and yeah. that was that was great and at that time and then at a certain point it's like this is actually this is a great thing this is not actually my dream of how I want to spend all my time and what I want to be doing is making music, just making music and yeah. building into music in a more like so out of that Godspeed kind of like, you know, boom thing that happens, did you start any other projects before that? I mean, I started working? playing, uh, I mean, in, in Montreal, yeah, I started, yeah. I, so I was, was like, started. Because you and Jeremy had something, or did you guys? Yeah, me and Jeremy and Tim from Arcade Fire started a band with our friend Ansley called the New International Standards. Yeah. That was kind of folky, I it's hard to explain exactly what it was, it was kind of jangly, folky. It was songs, kind of songs driven. I wouldn't say it was particularly punk, but did it was you know, just having a band. Did you know those guys through going to shows in Ottawa, or how'd you get hooked up? Yeah, I knew shows? Jeremy through shows in Ottawa, but I didn't know Jeremy well, but we were at all the same shows. Yeah. You know, we were like at Wellington and the Saw Gallery, and um, we would just like, yeah. I played the Saw. Everybody did. Sean <laughs> Scallon's show. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I knew Jeremy from that, and I knew Tim from. He, I didn't really know Tim well, but he was uh, he played with a guy in Ottawa named Jeffrey Pye, who's okay. called the Yellow Jacket Avenger, and and uh, that was it. Yeah, we just kind of connected in Montreal, to, as you do, you know, yeah. music music scene. Um, yeah. So how did you hook up with the? Because I remember first time I heard of Arcade Fire, it was from people in the Castro. Okay. And like, and it was just when I think the first EP. I remember the folding party that you guys had to fold. Yeah, right. it, like it was a very DIY. Yeah, like sure. the thing about the Arcade Fire when it happened, like that was I've never witnessed a band blow up before, but it was like it felt so organic. Yeah, yeah. And it was like one week it was like, oh, there's this weird band. They're all weird in uh, Montreal. They all dress the same, and they, uh, it's like a cult. It was like what I first heard about the Arcade Fire. Right. Were you? When did you? Were you in that first lineup or the second? I was kind of in between the, the first. I like made friends with what was the first lineup with Dane and Brendan yeah. and Miles. Um, they were fans of the International Standards, and then we became fans of their what they were doing, which was quite different at the time, so the more acoustic y. And, um, and uh, yeah, we just, and we would start, we were just hanging out together, really, and would play music sometimes, but not like working on music, yeah. but just like you just kind of do when you're a musician. And um, then Jeremy and Tim went on tour with this songwriter named Aaron Booth for a summer, and I, um, when was like, would ask me to come and try and record them, the then version of Arcade Fire in, um, in Maine at his parents' house. They had a barn. Um, but that band was already kind of falling apart. Yeah. And, uh, kind of on the rocks. And uh, I think that's where I heard the cult stuff from was some Bitter Beads. 
kind of passed okay. through broken telephone thing. Yeah, yeah sure, <laughs> sure. Thing. But it, yeah, then it was just like it was just a, like a not, a not very, it was not very fun. It was cool musically. Yeah. It, was, it was fun and, and good, and I, I liked it. Um, but it just wasn't happy as a as yeah a, a unit as a unit. And so while so I went with them to like help record because I'd learned a bit about recording in university. Um, we had this totally ghetto recording set up and you know like monitoring through guitar amps and yeah. just like absurd in a barn um, but really cool and so but Pell and Wyatt, while we were recording those songs that they'd been playing um, I ended up the band A the band and it was kind of falling apart and not like wanting to talk to each other yeah just falling apart the way bands do and uh and at the same time, I was having all these musical ideas. And be like, oh, we should add this. We should try doing this thing. And and so then that band sort of lasted long enough to launch. I mean, it lasted long enough to launch the EP and do like a CD release at the Casa. Yeah, there was a house full. The loft that you got. Yeah. When was living in your yeah. regime was living at. Yeah. Uh, my wife's friend was at that party okay. holding EPs. Yeah, right. So, was, yeah. And then, but then it was just like came to Toronto. But then it literally fell apart that night. Like, oh, really? That's it, what it and felt. It was like, there was a weird fight, and, and that was sort of that for that band. And then we just kind of smushed into being a bit, like, me and Will came down from the States. He'd been in school in Chicago, and he came down from Montreal for a summer. And me and Tim were just, like, around, and... And I also had started Bell Orchest, my, yeah. my other instrumental band, and that was going that whole time. And we were all we would also play shows together. Those three bands would play together, and the Unicorns at that same, same time. Also, I was I was living with uh, one of the Unicorns, and then both of them, um, and everyone was just up in each other's business. And a Montreal scene, kind of. Yeah, it was just like, and there was it was just really happening. There was a lot of music happening, and everyone was really wanting to do good shows and make good music. And, and, yeah, then we just started doing it more and more, and then we were working on a record, and and uh, Unicorns put up, and I played a bunch on the Unicorns record while I was living with them, and they kind of finished their record, it just like really pushed and did it, and it came out, and they had this great kind of grassroots Yeah, they kind of blew up, too. Blew up and yeah. That was super exciting. It was like, holy shit. Like, yeah, it was like, band from Montreal's huge, yeah, and then the Arcade and Fire like, came. And just that they're, and they're, they're really just doing their own thing. You yeah. Know? It's like they're really musically trying to do a specific thing, and... It was, was almost really like exciting. a Canadian music awakening, though, internationally at that point, like Death from Above and like sure. the social scene. And, and the Constantines. The Constantines, yeah. too. Like, yeah. yeah, like bands were on Sub Pop. Canadian yeah. and band. Feist, also Feist. at the same time. And I guess yeah. Canadian bands, like Jail was on Sub Pop prior to pre, the pre, pre that, yeah. But, yeah. but still, it felt like, for me at least, like, holy shit. And I remember, like. And Wolf yeah. Parade at the same time. Wolf that was like, too, who yeah. else was around for us that we made really good friends with? Um, yeah, and. But it, Again, it was still really, for me, it was all, it was like the scene part of it was what happened when something that you loved really drew you together. And yeah. it was the musical side of things that I really loved. And, and obviously, like, the, you have, you know, you have these sh- somewhat shared ethos between you, but it's never identical, obviously. Did it feel weird? Because, like, I remember you guys coming to Toronto, it was like the, what, Sneaky D's with the Constantines or the Rivoli first? The Rivoli first. And yeah, the man. horse, there was the horseshoe, I think, with the Constantines. I thought, did you play Sneaky D's one time as a surprise Yeah, we played, we played it a couple times. Punch Clock one time? Yeah. Still screening place? Yeah, that was after the first moment. So we did, like, we did a show, a couple of shows opening for, like, Nathan Lar and 
played with the Barcelona Pavilion. And they were the last Canadian band to do a Peel session. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, didn't Godspeed do one after them? Did they, did they? Well, I thought it was Godspeed's room before that. Uh, maybe. Okay, maybe maybe, maybe I'm right. wrong. If I'm uh, wrong, then I stand corrected. But uh, I always like bring that up to Steve Cato. Uh, 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 yeah, it's pretty good. Last shot session. Fucking bastard. But yeah, we, yeah, we played a couple of shows and opened and opened for the cons. Yeah. And then and people seemed to be really feeling what we were doing. Oh, it's we crazy. It was like punk cons. people, like hardcore kids. Yeah, like it was that just a really cool. We're just going nuts. Yeah. I remember, uh, <laughs> Simon, the guy who runs Ugly Pop Records, uh-huh. getting on stage with you guys at the Ripley and just dancing. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like, I've never seen him do that for any band. I'm sure he's going to be mortified when he hears about this now. But uh, but it was just like, yeah, it felt like it was just like a groundswell. Yeah, well, and then we then the next time we came back was for our own show. Yeah. That was our first own show, and that was at Sneaky D's, and it was like in January, and there was so kind of God there, and it was like there's like yeah. a lineup down the block in yeah. January, and it was like, and we were kind of playing a couple songs for the first time and that was Owen came and played with us at Mike Olson for the first time and um, was that the first time you felt like this might become a real job or was it before that even no before that we hadn't you know we were opening for people like we weren't like filling houses or anything I think we were like turning some heads but it wasn't it was also like right then that moment was just pre or very very fledgling music on the internet yeah. Stages. Like, yeah. It was, you know, everyone didn't have fast internet. Everyone wasn't listening to music over the internet. And everyone wasn't even talking about music on the internet. It was like. Just starting to happen. It was all just kind of starting to happen and people having music blogs and things. It was like extremely early days. And so we kind of had this weird, there was this weird moment of that at the same time as people were genuinely really excited about our band and its music and their live performances. Whereas also people were kind of excited to be exploring this new medium of being excited about music on the internet yeah. <laughs> to each other. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was kind of like we caught this like moment of that, which Time and space. in terms of us getting like absurdly popular, that was like a crazy, I think that was actually a factor. How, could you guys kept it, you know, like, would you, like I don't want to force this on you, but do you think it was your grounding in kind of like this like really DIY roots kind of community of music that you didn't lose your head because I, I yeah, would think sure. it would be fucking crazy yeah, going was, through that it was crazy um, yeah it was that and and it and we were all like really reasonable people yeah. so it was like and we were going out there with like you know if if what you want to do is get in people's faces and do something pure and raw and genuine and real that like comes from a real place and isn't about ego or being braggadocious or posturing or hairspray or whatever you know and you want and you want and you want to do something different and you want to like maybe get in people's faces and like upset them a little bit but also do something super beautiful like and heartfelt and in our case like I was getting my kind of my emo like I was like venting my you know teenager emo angst like just getting to scream like if what you want to do is get out there and scream and well, I know. You know, if that's <laughs> what you want to do, if you have that in your heart, yeah. it's like burning desire to do that. Like, you are a punk band. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean. And if you're and if you're deliberately trying to not follow exactly in other people's footsteps, well, that like, was the thing. Like that what? is that's what you are, whether you're labeling it, self-labeling yeah. that that or not. You know, so we were absolutely a punk band at heart. Yeah, you know. And I remember seeing like, yeah, it's like watching you on Saturday Night Live, like you specifically being like, 
that's the dude from the good, clean, fun em- Who's Emma video. Because, like, my get this Who's Emma video. And, like, just because, you know, you're being so tall and everything, just yeah. you stand out so much yeah, yeah, to watch sure. that video. Right. And it's crazy. You can go through that video. Unfortunately, I was in San Francisco going to shows down there, so I was not at that show. But you can go through that video and you can see, oh, that's Fat Steve who sang in our war. That's, like, blah, 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 blah. Right. It's, like, a, that good, clean, fun uh Jonah Drift or one of those bands played uh-huh. uh, and someone else but anyway that's yeah like, right like Dara Dara's band maybe Dara's the Dara's band yeah. Dara Hayes I don't know Mike did the show from Fucked Up uh-uh. Mike put on that show yeah I feel like the 8 pound test maybe something. I don't know Mike, I, Mike still has the video probably somewhere we can uh-huh. watch it sometime next uh-huh. time we hang out it all kind of blurs together those shows for me yeah. they, all, they all sort of look yeah they look the same <laughs> yeah a lot of the same faces in every single show yeah. you know it was like Tw- like 15 people 20 people that yeah. you could kind of like be like oh that person oh that yeah. person again yeah type thing and yeah, so totally. but you know I won't keep you now because like you know we both have to probably go eat and you probably get ready to play and play rock shows but uh but thank you so much buddy yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm so stoked that this is you man that you, this is you <laughs> doing this likewise like fucking awesome it's so. nice to be here with you guys it's like we saw you when we were getting off the bus there it's like oh, uh, oh no open like, the door open the door it's so funny because it's, like, it's like it's like you know, it's like, it's weird to think, like, Who's Emma Basement shows. It's like, man, there's like a bunch of us that were at, like, Who's Emma shows here. You know, it's like weird to find people from punk rock that yeah. where everyone winds up and stuff. And it's yeah. kind of cool that, yeah. you know, to be, like, around people that, and stuff yeah. that have, you know, made it in the biz and are still down. Yeah, and they're, like, and to find people who's have, who have their heads on and are yeah. doing a thing they you know, it be- and when it becomes a job, that's a whole other set of things to navigate. Responsibilities, like, yeah. Did you ever have like? I guess that's the last thing I want to have. Do you ever have that like, what would Ian Mackay have done moment where you like punk rock guilt washes over and you're like, uh, that was something I would kind of, uh, yeah, because yeah. I have things all the time. I mean, to, just, yeah, you have to question things, but also, like everyone can't be Fugazi. Like yeah. everyone cannot be that. Like it doesn't. I need that tattooed on my chest. Everyone like, I didn't even like Fugazi thing. musically. Like, I uh, like Minor Threat, but, like, uh, just that, like, burden to live up to Ian MacKay yeah, right. is, like, an albatross that right. I fucking feel so hard on. No, I mean, like, everyone, Ian MacKay makes compromises. Everyone makes compromises. You just have to decide where you're going to compromise and where you're not, you yeah. know? And to yeah. me, music and musical energy and the power of music and reaching people is the more important thing than like needing to keep the tickets under $10 and needing to drive yourself to the gig and like all these things. It's like, I, I couldn't be, I couldn't have been touring for 10 years if I had to drive myself to every show. And if we weren't making enough money to come home and not have to work for a yeah. while, it's like, yeah. I couldn't keep doing this. And I, what, what is the most important thing to me is music. And it's, it's and to do something that's true and truthful and authentic musically, <laughs> and we like you know we turn down crazy shit. Ninety eight percent of what gets thrown at us, you know what I mean? Like, what's the like? You don't have to give specific names. But what's the dumbest thing you think you've ever been offered? You know, we just get offered like movie roles and stuff. No, but we get offered. I mean, every, we get offered like sort of placements in every yeah, stupid bet, yeah. car ad or yeah. movie that you could that comes down the pike. And thankfully, we can do this for a living just playing shows and putting out records and don't have to take those yeah. things to support it and I don't I don't like have any hostility towards anybody who does those things it's like you, you do what you, you have do to do, if, do what, what you're going to do with your life is that you want to make music 
then you do whatever you have to do to do that, you know? And thankfully, we've been able to really keep our, you know, not have to bend over to some of these things as you might have to if you weren't doing so well just as a, as a live band, etc. Um, yeah, we just get offered, like, absurd amounts of money to, like, play corporate parties because yeah. it seems just, like, really distasteful yeah. and that people just really want to use their name and put it on the top of the Chrysler building or whatever. Yeah, not, yeah. I mean, not literally. No, but, but I that know what kind you're of saying. Thing. Yeah. And it's just enough and sometimes you have to do those things and and occasionally we have but we try for the most part not to and we try and do things our own way whenever we can and really do things that are surprising and that are fun and that are exciting and interesting and off the beaten track and awesome keep it fun yeah keep it fun and keep it real as much as you possibly can and yeah I mean just trying to control the aspects of it that you can because you just really can't control everything yeah absolutely and, Awesome. Well, thank you, Richard, so much, man. This has been awesome. Yeah, dude. Wicked. Nice.